Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello everyone, it's Michael McNutt with Weedy. This week's episode comes directly from our national conference, which just concluded a couple of weeks ago, to discuss delivering value to the consumer during this new app economy. We welcome Jennifer Blumenthal, co-founder and CEO of One Record, and Kristen Valdez, founder and CEO of Be Well. The session is moderated by John Kelly, Principal Business Advisor with Edifex. John's also a Weedy board member and the co-chair of the Education Committee. I have the privilege and honor of introducing uh, two very dynamic uh, CEOs. Uh, they are at the heart of the new app economy. They were there before we were calling it that. Um, and I think if we're talking about an economy, we're talking about supply and demand. I, I think um, you know one record uh, and uh, be well uh, are uh, early entrants uh, to the supply side. Uh, they're supplying uh, products uh, and services in a market that is emerging. And uh, I'm wondering if uh, uh, Jennifer or Kristen, if you could talk a little bit about uh, how would you describe the demand that you're meeting? What's emerging? What is it that the consumers want that that you're you're trying to meet that need? Jennifer, you want to go ahead and start? Oh, I was going to say you could start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when we think about um, the need for consumers, healthcare continues to get more and more fragmented. Uh, having and and Jennifer and I like to refer to a new diagnosis code we think should be introduced called portalitis. Um, consumers do have portals and passwords for every doctor, every hospital, you know, every employer sponsored health and wellness program that are now averaging seven to 21 different disparate solutions. They have pharmacy applications, wearable applications, and we continue to just throw more and more at consumers as now the industry is starting to shift care into the home, into the employer space, and also into retail pharmacies in addition to traditional manners. And so from a consumer perspective, healthcare is just overly complex and hard to manage, and they don't have all their information in one place. But the new app economy was designed really to, one, information blocking and interoperability were specifically put in place so that consumers could use applications of their choosing to bring in and aggregate all their healthcare data and then direct that data to whoever they find could provide value to them in their healthcare journey. And so what we're seeing is an acceleration towards a digital first and mobile environment where data transparency is particularly important as we look to create a shoppable healthcare consumer. And so data really, we believe, is going to be table stakes in this next generation of digital health because it enables and empowers us to create a truly personalized experience to an individual all the way down to an N of one. But then being able to navigate all of the new care options, whether they are in-person, virtual, digital, asynchronous, is particularly important to consumers, especially since we have differences in wanting to see doctors uh, in person versus conveniently see a doctor or the next available doctor and many people wanting to just pop into the next clinic or urgent care or even ED. So navigation when there is a need is particularly important. But from a consumer perspective, they just want simplicity. Be there for me when I need you. Tell me when there's something I need to do and make it easy for me to do that. Thank you. Jennifer? I think Kristen nailed it. Uh, you know, I think about it in very simple terms. You know, we as consumers want to engage with our healthcare the same way we're engaging with 
other apps and services in our everyday life. So think about financial, which is always the, you know, the big comparison, but also just like transportation or, you know, hotel booking or, you know, just anything that you have to do to organize your life. I think something for me that is very clear for myself personally and then for the people around me and then, you know, the, um, our users that we serve at One Record is COVID has really changed the amount of pressure on people. So we work more than ever before. We are now so in touch with each other. I mean, there's people that I've never met before, but I've spent a year talking to them on Zoom. You know, it's going to be really important going forward that the healthcare system meets consumers where they are, where the expectations for a virtual experience is higher now and ease of use of that virtual experience is higher. And it, you know, something I hear constantly from both payers and providers is they don't want point systems. They want something that can integrate across their systems. And I think that's the same thing that users want. We don't want to just be logging into multiple portals. Like um, Kristen said, there's one uh, healthcare institution in Pennsylvania, for instance, and I was just looking at their webpage recently and they have nine different portals for their organization. And then you think about consumers that's just trying to get their healthcare data. And Kristen mentioned everything else that's related to that. But think about that also on the health plan side, like navigating your member portal from one plan to another. This is really, you know, the intent behind Cures Act, but also I think the main motivation for everyone as they're thinking about what their strategic initiatives are into 22 and beyond is how do we build um, experiences for where we are today as a generation. Oh, thanks. That's great. Uh, Let me pick up on that a little bit in that. um, So, you know, I I think in some ways be well in one record. I mean, uh, talk about two incredible goals from a patient demand, right? That I want to have my stuff in one place and that I want tools that are going to help me to be well, right? I think it's a coincidence here, but I I think it it says a lot that ties to what you were just saying. Um, In terms of the data, we're we've we're hearing about this tsunami of data that's going to come online with the patient APIs. And I know you have both kind of come to where you are from a little bit different pathways. Do you see the focus of what you're doing now, really the data that's coming from these patient APIs under the CMS rules, or do you, is your vision of this data that you're bringing together for the app economy, is it broader than just what patients expect to see through the payer APIs? Well, I think Kristen and I are actually together in person last night. So I think Kristen might have a different answer than I do. We are right now, we're very focused on first just getting consumers to their data. So if you want to think about what one record does is we're very focused on patient activation. So that means can we surface the right, um, you know, the, the right provider organization, the right health plan, the right device, the right native devices, like if we, you know, have HealthKit as an option to integrate with, can we surface that in a way that it's easy for the user to be successful? So like the big thing for us is how do we get people to convert to take those steps? We're not looking at the data. So our organization isn't focusing on, you know, what kind of data comes in. We don't think, I don't think that there is enough data available through the patient access APIs today for consumers to uh, get the full picture of care. There is a deeper data set available beyond USCDI. So as USCDI grows, then I think we're going to see more and more data. Now, when you have USCDI plus the financial and formulary data on the patient access API side for payers, 
I'm obsessed. It's really interesting. I can't wait for price transparency rules to come out. Like it's going to be really fun to build experiences around that. But I think the first step is getting people to understand one, that they can get their data because most people don't even know that that's an option. They don't even know there's app developers out there that can service them like that. And they also don't know the difference between the data that they get from their provider and the data that they get for them a health plan and how there could be overlap in that. So like at one record, we feel like our job is really to educate users on just this available functionality and what their rights are under, you know, government mandate and to help them have a easy to use experience to essentially get their data. I think we are still watching to see how the data comes in. Is it consistent to comes in? Is it following the patterns we expect it to come in? Is there gaps in the data? And, you know, I'm really paying attention to on the provider side of the rule, the all EHI export and on the payer side of the rule as payers be, uh, move beyond just the mandated lines of business and their commercial lines of business. So for me, once we see a little bit more breadth around who can access their data in context of what I just said, I might have a different opinion to, or a more specific answer to your question. Yeah, and from my perspective, FIRE is an absolutely amazing standard. And I believe, and I'm fully leaning into the fact that FIRE is the way that healthcare data will transact across the world in the future. But we are still in the infancy of FIRE data. So when we talk to people about FIRE, they assume that it's clinical data from the EMR and payer data from the insurance carrier and why those those might be comprehensive. There's a whole lot more to healthcare experience than just those data sets. Think about eligibility, right? Eligibility is should have, in theory, come before medical claim data, right? So, you know, who who has coverage and is it primary, secondary, tertiary, but also benefits, right? And so we always think about, and slightly different than Jennifer, but use of the data, right? And so consumers don't know what their insurance benefits actually are, right? So if I said to you, like, hey, how many physical therapy, um, you know, visits are you entitled to under your benefit design? The average human walking by the street is going to go, I don't know what you're talking about, nor do I even know if that's covered until they need it. So applications have the ability to create a more seamless experience that is less complex and in less industry jargon um, and standards by saying things like, oh, we see you, you know, you're currently covered by you know, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, your next, you know, um, open enrollment date starts in, you know, in Y period. But hey, you know, medical claim just came in, you've used one of two podiatry visits this year, you're next eligible on X date. So we can start to make things a little bit more comprehensive and understandable. While we're pulling in data in all different kinds of formats, because eligibility data, as an example, is not available in FHIR. So how do we actually pull in all that data, make it FHIR native, and then make it accessible in a FHIR standard out for all kinds of parties and integrations where consumers want to direct their data to? Because we see that consumers don't necessarily want to try to understand all their medical data, but they do want to direct it to the people who can add value in their lives. And that in particular is what we're interested in at BeWell is the use of that data to create a simpler and easier experience for consumers to access healthcare across the board. But I think FIRE will continue to mature. I think new uh, and new varieties of data will continue to come out like vision and oral and imaging and all of the things that, you know, are still not accessible, but I'm really looking forward to new standards that are adopt where the industry starts to adopt those things ahead of time. You know, I'd love to see retail pharmacies have an open API that says, Hey, if we're really going to lean into value-based care, then it's important that health systems who are taking risk and understand whether or not 
a member has actually picked up their medication when they discharge from the hospital, right? Or now that pharmacies have the ability to vaccinate and close gaps in care, or they're creating partnerships with primary care when someone's coming in to pick up their meds, can we grab them and capture them where they are and say, hey, when you pick up your meds, Dr. Smith wanted me to give you this home colorectal cancer screening kit that you can take at home. I'm going to show you how to use it. You can just mail it back in and Dr. Smith will receive your results. So creating the connections between all kinds of companies coming together means that we have to advance the API standards beyond where FIRE is today so that we can create that holistic experience for consumers. I want to add on yeah. I'm just said. Go ahead. So where fire is today, I don't think people actually really know where fire is today. Everybody, you might read about it in articles and things of that sort. So I just, somebody put a question in the chat, but I want to give you, I, I thought about this before I came to the session today, where fire is today. So I, I wrote down a few cliff notes for myself. So the thing that we're seeing for us is there's variations on the amount of things that are populated in the data, whether they're sending the bare minimum or they're sending any additional non-mandated data elements. For us, that is very hard to visualize in a UI when we don't know what we are going to get from each payer and even then their corresponding plans or lines of business that they're sending us to. Like that is a big thing. We just don't know what kind of data we're going to get. And we haven't yet really try to push this on our users, we still label it as beta because we do not feel like it's ready for prime time. The other thing that we see that's a variation is in the value sets that are being used. We can handle that internally, but I think for other app developers, it's going to be hard. And then like the key thing that actually holds us up from you know going live with a new payer is actually how they are sending the patient ID um, as their own parameter sometimes. That's like a big thing that we have to write custom code around. So I think like to me, Kristen really represents like the big picture. This is what we can build. This is what we can do because she has such a clear vision of like, what does this value bring to the whole ecosystem? And we at One Record are really focused on, you know, do these APIs work? How do we find out uh, where the documentation is? Where do we find the developer portal? Do they even have a test patient? Most, nobody has a test patient, which is very, very hard to promote it. Um, a plan to prod with no test patient because we really have no insights in how their data will represent in our UI. So I think as payers say, you know what, we're going beyond the bare minimum and we're really going to take this as a strategic initiative to expand the data set. You're going to see a huge adoption in developers coming to the table to build and support them in their strategic initiatives. Oh, thank you. That's great. I think you opened up a whole bunch of avenues here though with those comments. Um, where I'm going to start, though, is my original question was about the, I will say, the uh, the domain of data. How big is it? Is it defined by the patient API? I think what I heard from you both is, no, it's bigger than that, that there's more data that's needed. I think I heard Kristen talk a little more about kind of doubling down on leveraging the standards development uh, because principally your API vendors Um but there's a lot more data that's out there that may be residing in other formats. And so I think there's a question about where you two see your role. Is it pushing for better standards and understanding of those standards and kind of the normalization of data used in the standards? Or are you looking to go further? If you consider Mickey Tripathi yesterday talked a lot about the EHI, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the Electronic Health Information Requirement um, that will come into play on the provider side under the Cures Act. They're not required to use fire, but there's going to be a, a tsunami of new data available theoretically. Are you 
thinking about how as app vendors, you might take advantage of that non-standard data? Yeah. Uh, Kristen, you want me to go first or you have thoughts? Go for it. Go for it. So we've been dealing with this for a while. So the first thing we've always thought about is, you know, there's different methods of getting data, which is really what all EHI kind of goes, it goes beyond fire because you can't use your EHR instance to support that, right? So what kind of documents are you going to be getting? Are you going to get unstructured documents, PDFs? Um, Are you going to be getting, I mean, I know most patients really just want their imaging. So that I think is a huge opportunity, but how do you, you know, normalize and harmonize data that's coming in through multiple methods and coming in as structured and unstructured. And then, you know, just the layer, the icing on that is actually the patient-friendly language around that. There's like, uh, there's a company called Clinical Architecture that I would love to work with. We just can't afford their licensing fees. But if we could have a company like that built into one record, we can build a much better uh, patient experience because we would have essentially the mapping of all the different terminology that comes in. And the same thing is even for some of the resources we get on the fire level, you know, there is some licensing issues there, which I'll let Kristen dive into, where we can't represent certain data elements without licensing to that. So for us, how we're thinking about it is we're one having to partner with other organizations who can help us handle data as it comes in from different places. We're also looking to partner with organizations who can actually fill gaps into that data. So there's an organization that we're working with to fill the gaps into the Rx data because it's really disconcerting for a user when they come into an application experience and there's data missing or the data is incorrect. I think part of all EHI and FHIR should also be how do you correct um, inaccuracies in your data in a more streamlined way? And I think people are going to start saying this is not correct or this is missing And for us, we're going to have to look to external sources to complement that. And we are going to, you know, I am trying to work with, you know, the retail experiences and um, states and different things to try and fill in the gaps so people really do have a complete picture. I think the most exciting thing about, you know, Cures Act is now it's, I love saying it, providers are impacted by the rule, payers are impacted by the rule, and in a future state, anyone who generates EHI is impacted by the rule. So that just gives you a sense of like, maybe it's not, you know, in 22, but it's going to be in our decade where you're going to be getting data from everywhere. Absolutely. And just to, you know, add on to that, the variety of data is going to continue to get filled in, but we are going to have to transact in all different kinds of data standards. And the way that we've positioned that at BeWell for our own sanity, uh, more or less, is that we every piece of data that comes into our organization gets mapped into FHIR, even if the FHIR standard for that type of data isn't fully defined and pushed forward. So yes, we are going to continue to push forward standards because we don't think that you know our social uh, determinant fire um, that we're storing is going to end up being the standard that everyone adopts, but we're hoping that we're not too far off and we're willing to put in the sweat labor to say, well, let's write an implementation guide around these fields, why they're important to consumers and how they get used. But Jennifer's right. All different kinds of data are going to continue to come in and we're going to continue to advance that. But we believe in creating a fire native platform so that all the data, whether it's mandated to be shared or it's data that is collected that is part of the uh, consumer's entire record that we put it into a fire standard so that we can create APIs out. And the reason for that is that consumers really do want to direct their data. And Jennifer's right that there's all kinds of companies out there that can help supplement the data. And there's some really simple use cases that we think are important 
that can help the entire industry move forward and not to jump down a rabbit hole. But one prime example was the USPS data standards for address standardization. We know that there's a huge impact in terms of patient matching, which is really important when consumers are trying to pull their data in. And if you looked at the USPS standards historically, anyone who is a retail company, so I could create an Etsy shop and I could use that API to standardize addresses, but as a healthcare organization, I couldn't. And so we're really excited that there's new initiatives like at US, I think that's right, that are coming out that are going to get even more specific where like street is not ST, it's fully, you know, street and it will improve the ability to do appropriate matching. But there are solutions out there that can help supplement healthcare data and also improve the quality of that data that we think are really important. And there's going to have to be bi-directional fire, period because consumers are already seeing the errors in their records. My daughter, when she was 13, was coded as having an enlarged prostate, right? Like medical miracle. But the number of people who find errors in their records is actually quite high. And so they're going to need the ability to correct that. And the reason that those processes haven't necessarily existed, even though they're allowed to have changes to their records done, um, you know, through HIPAA is that those processes don't exist. And consumers didn't actually and weren't aware that there were errors in their records. But some of those errors can be life-threatening. So we need to make sure that as consumers are become in control of their data, that there's also a way that they can correct that data point back. Or another use case for incorrect information in your records. So think about, I, I know this from personal experience, um, when something gets coded about you and you go to a new plan, and they won't pay for that existing drug or that existing procedure or that it, or the need for a procedure that's always already been proven that you need to have it or those existing therapies, being able to have access to your data and then go back and get corrections on it so that the person who's, you know, the new receiver of your data, who can they properly give you care and pay for that care is really, really important because ultimately it comes down to, yes, in the U.S. healthcare system, mostly employers or the government pays for our healthcare, but we as consumers have to pay more and more money. So we're paying it both on our tax side, our salary side, and our out-of-pocket side. So it makes more sense as more, <laughs> more people become savvy. I mean, I, I just do not see the generation coming up be, finding any of this acceptable. So uh, a few things to tackle there, uh, one of which you mentioned uh, a couple of times and it came up in a question. So let's just get it off the table. Um, patient matching, patient ID. Um, by definition, what you guys do is pull data together from disparate sources all over the place. And the challenge you have may even be bigger than the ones that generally payers and providers are confronting because your sources are probably more disparate than they're using. How are you think? is this going to be a nagging problem or do you see us somehow solving this patient matching issue going forward? How confident are you, I guess, that you're going to be in a good position to take data from all kinds of sources and make sure that you're putting it in the right patient records. Well, I think uh, so. I'll, it depends on the method you're using, right? So let's let's. Uh, Kristen knows where I'm going on this. It depends on the method that you're using. So let's just talk about Fire first. Fire. The assumption is you have credentials, so you have already, you know, somebody has given those to you and those already been authenticated. Now, there is there's provenance to that. So like if I pull in my data, you know, essentially my demographic information will consist of my name, my date of birth and the address, you know, at the time of that encounter, I'm just talking about the provider side right now. And that's interesting because that's, you know, essentially I've had multiple addresses in New York and it's building up kind of a view of who I am. 
Um, a problem that I've heard and concerned from providers is actually when the wrong data is even pulled via fire because the internal ID that has been, you know, tacked on to that user is actually wrong and you get the wrong data coming through. We as an app can not control that. So this is even bigger reason why you need consumers to say, hey, there's an issue here. Then there's the um, interesting issue on the payer side where really payers don't really have visibility into you as a person for, um, you know, let's say most of the times that I was in one plan, I came on through my employer and there's five different IDs assigned to me. They don't know that those five different IDs are me, Jenny. Um, I think for in the fire OAuth world, you're going to see this be a bigger issue for payer to payer. So in the payer to payer world, you know, are we going to reuse the patient access API where the consumer essentially pulls their data from their old payer and then sends it to their new payer and they have to auth with their new payer? And how does the new payer know to pull the data from an app like one record? Or are they going to use maybe a different sort of IG where it actually is relying more on patient matching? And that's where you get into the, the areas of patient matching that have persisted and are still causing an issue on the workflows that are going to be important for all EHI export or querying to, you know, HIEs or national networks like Care Quality or Commonwealth or even IISs is how do you prove someone's identity virtually? You're going to have to partner with an organization who can support you through an IAL2 workflow, which basically means a combination of, you know, self-attesting, demographics, selfie, uh, document verification, like a whole very cumbersome workflow to get to a certain level of assurance that this person is who they say they are, which honestly, that should suffice for most people. And then you have the patient matching problem and logics that persist. I think that right now, what we should be thinking about is how can we do dynamic registration where you off with one location and it allows you to pull in the data from all as a first step. And then we tackle the actual um, identity proofing problem because really one the commercial products are very still expensive and the source systems don't always trust that the commercial products can do their job within a consumer app experience. And Kristen is going to take it from there because I know she's <laughs> No, you, I mean, everything you said was exactly right on point. I mean, to simplify it down from a consumer perspective, right? We're going from an environment where people were authenticated by showing up at the doctor and all of a sudden the first two things you're asked for is driver's license and insurance card. Now let's just pretend for a minute that the people who are sitting at that front desk are trained like TSA agents, which they're not, right? <laughs> There, it's not a foolproof method. And so when we think about IAL2 level identity standards, they're actually significantly greater than what we do today. But there's always security concerns, as there should be, because this is our most coveted and prized data, and we have to take that very seriously. But when we take someone through an identity standard where, to Jennifer's point, they're self-attesting to who they are, I think the face and the biometrics of the face, since we're getting used to using those for authentication into all kinds of things and consumers are authorizing them, will eventually become part of that medical record. But we do need to create more of a federated ID such that when someone authenticates one time through a service that is IAL2 level, they should be able to reuse that identity credential. So I might be able to go to my payer, my provider, my specialist, my pharmacy, and that identity credential should carry forward. So um, this, in to tie back to my original statement of portalitis, is particularly important because one thing we know about consumers is they don't like the OAuth process and it doesn't work for them. So many people don't want a portal. They don't access a portal. 
And we also have some concern or what we have some real life experiences where doctors in many cases are still telling people they need to show up in person and have an appointment if they want to get access to their portal. So even if they wanted to authorize a BWELL or a one record through OAuth and FIRE to access that data, if they don't have a portal, sometimes they can't create it. And so the challenge really becomes, you know, how do we use identity verification at a much higher standard than healthcare uses today to get rid of the need to have a portal account to access data? And so Jennifer and I are are certainly on the same page here. She answered in a much more technical way, but from a friction perspective, if we want consumers to use applications and have the app economy grow, because there is a big, you know, kind of where are all the apps? Well, first of all, this is hard and it takes time, but they are coming. There's a lot of them being built right now. We just happen to start on it way before the standard. So they will, they will emerge without question but we need to make it a little bit easier. But what they're going to learn is that the friction to consumers is still there and there are better ways. And so eventually we would love to see FIRE be modified to an IAL2 level identity certification or OAuth if you don't have that. So in our, in our world, we just need to continue to focus on the consumer friction or else the value in the app economy is not going to be as great as it could be. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm sorry to take you down that whole that rat hole, but I know a lot of people are have that in their head, so I just want to get it off. I know what and if and for folks who aren't familiar with what Kristen was just talking about, um, go look on the Karen website. What she just said is probably music to Ryan Howell's ears, but uh, I, I think she's absolutely on the money that that's that's the way we're going to solve this problem. So let's get to things that you're more excited about talking about rather than how you're going to match data. I know one thing that both maybe to bring things home to the audience that you both have talked a lot about is the directory data and provider directories and and how you see like really low hanging fruit, I think, if I am understanding it. Um, in in directory data as one way of showing and talking to the audience about what's possible here. I just want to cover one thing from Janice. Is Janice says portals are not often accessible, so it can't be. Oh, sorry, I misread your question. Oh yeah, why are we equating portals and OAuth? They're not inherently connected. I think this is actually important as we talk about directories. Sure. So right now, what we see is. Fire isn't going into the front end of a patient portal and scraping data. That's not how it works. But the credentials that are given to someone for a patient portal or a member portal is how they're used to authenticate against the authorization server and the fire server. Unless in the case of places that like plans that don't have member portals where they're, they're actually having to register somebody and then figure out a workflow where they can help them get their data. So when, Kristen and I interchangeably use the word portal. We're not actually talking about the physical actual portal and the data that resides in that portal that's been pushed there by the stakeholder who controls it. We're talking about it as the how the user equates um, accessing their data using their existing portal credentials. Okay, sorry, I just wanted to <laughs> clarify. You know, important that. distinction. Thank you. John, can you restate the question? Yeah, so I'll uh, just... Uh, because because I know I've heard you both get kind of excited about the possibilities of the provider data, that it's it's real and maybe a little more concrete. But to give some examples of the new app economy and the services that you see you're going to be able to do with your apps, what are some of the things that you're seeing as examples with provider data or network data? I'm not sorry, provider. I mean, network data, uh, directories, uh, the payer directories, that stuff. I, I know I've heard you both talk at length about that. I'm wondering, as examples, could you talk about those possibilities? Yeah, I'm happy to start. So when we work with health systems um, and payers, we specifically tell them that digital transformation really does need to start with access to care. And access to care, because 
uh, really relies a lot on, can I even find the right doctor? So I always tell people, uh, and I think just coming from the payer space, you know, provider data is the root of all evil in healthcare because it's hard and it's complicated and there hasn't been really good processes to keep it updated. But we're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole when it comes to provider directory, because now as we digitize experiences, we want consumers to be able to match to and find physicians based on a provider directory that is often outdated. It doesn't tell people the information that they need because it was largely created in order to show network adequacy to a payer that you have enough doctors in a surrounding 20 mile radius that you can cover the members of a health insurance plan and therefore, and and that your doctors are credentialed appropriately. But when you try to use that for search from a consumer perspective, it doesn't work for a couple of reasons. One is that it's largely, you know, name, address, telephone number, accepting new patients and specialty. But if I'm a consumer, I really want to find a doctor sometimes based on race, sex, you know, um, all different kinds of properties that don't exist in the provider directory. And worse, we're actually expecting people as we turn on these new, you know, whether it's a digital front door and a chatbot to access services, you know, or even just a basic search feature to mobile and open schedule appointments. We're asking them to search and know how to match to a doctor all on their own. So if I am a migraine sufferer and I go into a digital front door and I say, I want to make an appointment and I type in migraine, most of those applications will say, oh, that looks like a symptom. Let me take you over to the triage area. And it's like, no, I just want to know that I'm not going to end up waiting seven weeks for an appointment with a neurologist who happens to be surgical, who then says, I don't treat migraines right? Because now I've wasted time, energy, and effort. But we also need to think about language that consumers use. So if I come in from a health literacy perspective, or even just literacy in general, and I'm looking for, I'm pregnant, and I need a baby doctor, right? We should be able to match people to obstetrics if they're pregnant, or pediatricians if they're looking for someone um, to match to baby doctor. So we have to take and not expect people to be able to spell obstetrician in order to find the right kind of doctor and or even know that that specialist is the kind of doctor that they need. So we've got to get to plain language English. And you can't just necessarily say, if I want to find a doctor, here's my provider directory and expect that it's going to work because what's going to happen is you're going to create more friction in the system. So systems and payers have to rethink the provider directory to say, you know, sometimes I'm going to feel more comfortable if, you know, English is my second language. I want to find a physician who speaks um, Spanish and I want it to be female because I'm more comfortable with a female doctor and that data needs to be updated in real time. So I think from my perspective, access to care is going to continue to be full of friction if we can't resolve the provider directory issues that exist in the U.S. So... Piggyback on to what Kristen said, I, I'm going to take it down to like a more granular level. So the way we think about it today, somebody just asked about price transparency. So I'm going to tell you what we do today. Like we spend a significant amount of time cleaning our, on the provider side, the, um, the fire URLs. So we found that a lot of times the URLs that are published by the EHR vendors don't actually have the right name associated to um, the actual organization. So what we do is we actually, we wrote a script to pull out the derived URL so we can check what is the screen that pops up and does that screen have the name that we think is associated to that URL? Because a lot of times the URL will point to an organization that 
isn't actually the name of the organization we think is associated with. So a good example is when a, um, a for an Epic customer, when they share their um, Epic instance with people in their communities, so other provider organizations that aren't within their org, so that they can be on their instance, so that they can share, you know, information between their uh, patient community. So those companies, those or those doctors' offices are not owned by a larger IDN, but they're on that IDN's instance. That is how much cleaning we are doing. And then back to the uh, postal standardization, we're using that plus another script from Google Maps to actually standardize um, the addresses because we're finding those are incorrect. So we're doing a lot on just the fire URI cleanup. We haven't even started to attempt the provider um, patient uh, provider APIs. So it's interesting with all the payers we're working with, they're like, so we seem to be one of the few apps along with Kristen who is accessing the patient access API. And they keep asking us, what's the plan for the provider API? And we don't have a plan yet. But what I want to do with it is I want to figure out, I want to use it to figure out, does this provider, this MD work within this health system or practice in these multiple health systems? So our users can actually search on a provider level instead of a facility level. And I want to be able to present the multiple facilities or the multiple patient portals that they're tied to so they can get their data. Like, hopefully this will all go away, but the only way we're going to create a high functioning app is if we have to do all this, essentially we're like data janitors, but for like fire URLs. <laughs> and then like, that's really what it is. Like we, I'm insane about this. And then for the price transparency stuff, I mean, I've said this before and I will say it again. Like I am so excited to build a platform where someone could essentially see the cost of their care based off of the negotiated rate and based off of the out-of-pocket expenses so they can decide, you know, can I, like, I'm going to go for this doctor's appointment because I can afford it. Like, I'm really excited to integrate that price transparency rules to help people have those personalized care experiences. Now, will I be able to do it? I don't know. Maybe I'll, you know, hire 300 more engineers, but with that many people, I'm pretty positive we could do that. <laughs> data janitors. I'm going to coin that one, Jennifer. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, let's go with the fire hunters and data janitors of fire URLs. That's kind of because we have to hunt down those uh, documentation. And if there's any payers on the line and you are not building your own fire servers, can you please tell your underlying fire providers to make it clearer that if they are supporting you? Because I'm getting into fights with these underlying fire server providers who won't tell us who their customers are. So it would be easier for us to do, you know, one fire server organization at a time and support, you know, 20 customers than have to go back and forth and back and forth. We will find out more of the problems with your fire implementations if we can do it in one hit. So if you outsourced your fire implementation, please tell your contract did fire server to make it clearer if they are supporting you in your fire journey. That is my soapbox. <laughs> your plea. I, 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 as an intermediary here, I hear you loud and clear, Jennifer. So uh, uh, I'll take that message back. With a couple of minutes left, and maybe Jennifer, you started that with the transparency. What, what are the maybe the the one or two really exciting things that you see coming short term? Not waiting, you know, eighteen months for new standards or anything. Where do you, where do you see both of you getting excited about stuff in the in the coming months? I mean, I'm just really excited about the payer APIs. It has been such a pleasure to work with the payers that we've worked with to date um, compared to the provider side. I feel like when we when I ask questions, I get answers. On the provider side, there's a lot more fear of are we a hacker, which I think you can Google me enough to know I'm not a hacker. So <laughs> that that's really like the thing is the, the payer side is just so much more willing to improve 
um, the implementations, you know, when we see variations in the patterns, some of the things like I mentioned earlier on the call, you know, they're, they're going to go back and fix that. Like that, I feel like we have a direct impact on the developer experience for anyone who comes after us. So I'm very excited about that. And then I'm very excited about the more, like we talked about, more data that's available, the more you open up the data and go beyond the mandated data set, that's going to allow us to build really cool things. And then, you know, we have partners who are white labeling our solutions. So it's cool to see our app moving into like a larger environment where, you know, they're going to be able to, the person providing it is going to be able to, you know, give their end users a great experience. So that's exciting for me. And then price transparency, very closely monitoring it. We have one minute left. Kristen, sorry, go. <laughs> good, you're good. Jennifer's excited about all the right things. Yeah. I think when we think about data, um, you know, data is exciting and the fact that we're finally getting to a standard is exciting, but we really think about the use of that data to reduce friction. Um, and I think that there's a lesser known rule and regulation that came out, which is a rollback of the anti-kickback um, and safe, it's basically um, and stark for safe harbors. So when we think about the shift to value-based care, obviously you need to see that 360 degree view of an individual. And we really like the idea that we're now able to start to incentivize consumers the way that they get incentivized through loyalty programs and every other aspect of their life, but if they align to their care plan. So we know that there is a whole host of digital personas out there where people are gamers and they're loyalists. And so if we say, hey, you know, here's 200 points for a two minute survey. And instead of bringing everyone into the office, we can actually administer the PHQ-2 and depression screen a population at large. We can use digital to be able to really roll out, close gaps in care, navigate people to the right way. But to Jennifer's point, that does require a lot of robust streamed and real-time data, but those use cases are the things that we are most excited about. And the fact that healthcare can finally start to look like every other aspect of the economy that consumers are used to in their digital world. Well, thank you. This has really been as, as the last time as well, really fascinating. I know that our audience is, is intrigued and I really appreciate the fact that you, you two are both willing to, to give us so much of your time to, to support getting an important message out. So kudos to you both for the work you've done. And uh, I know we're going to see some great stuff going forward. So thanks again, both uh, Jennifer and Kristen. Thanks for having us. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us, and be safe.